Alright ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Here today, I'm with my favourite co-host, Mikkel. Yes, here I am. And uh, today we are talking about Ouzo, the Greek aniseed flavoured liqueur. The Greek version of aniseed. So sit down, relax, crack open a drink, and I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. So, as uh, as we said earlier, we are talking about Uzo today. So, uh, let's start by saying what Uzo is, because that's always a good place to start. Uzo mm. is a fantastic tasting aniseed, as we said in the intro. It's aniseed, it's delicious, it's clear, and it is one of the drinks that uh, has the Uzo effect. This is where it came from. Yeah, absolutely. So when it, when mixed with water, it becomes cloudy. Now, it is uh, widely consumed in Greece, Cyprus, Lebanon, and Palestine, and uh, it tastes similar to other anisets such as pastis and sambuca. But unlike sambuca, which was originally consumed as a digestive, ouzo is commonly consumed as an aperitif. Everyone, all the Greek families drink it before dinner and have a great old time. Yeah, and uh, usually they mix it with uh, water or sometimes serve it uh, straight or on ice. But it is not commonly served chilled. No. In fact, it's frowned upon to serve it on the rocks because apparently the ouzo can form ice crystals on the surface or it can ruin the consistency of it. Interesting. So ouzo is not especially high proof. It's around about 37.5% normally. At at a minimum, yeah. At a minimum. So, yeah, it's not really stronger than bourbon or Mm. any other hard liquors, but it certainly goes down much, much faster because of the sugar content. Yeah, and in fact, on on an average, the maximum alcohol percentage of ouzo is 50%. They, Mm. They don't tend to come higher than that. And yeah, very sugary, and I'm about to try it for the first time. Ouzo is, despite my love of anisets, an aniset I have not yet tried. Wow. So, It'll be a first for me too. Yeah, it, it has a very strong anise flavor. There's no doubt about that. Mm, very nice. Very nice. It is not actually as sweet as I thought. Yeah, and the uh, the anise flavor is not as strong as I expected either. Mm. Certainly not, not as strong as the smell. It's... Yeah. It's very subtle. Yeah, when you have something like Sambuca or uh, Absinthe, the aniseed and licorice flavors just hit you in the face when you take your first sip. But this is quite chilled. Yeah, so admittedly we are drinking this pretty much two parts water to one part ouzo. Mm, I I tried to measure it one to one. Okay, so we're we're one to one? Okay. One to one. So that's... Probably about what you'd want it to be. If we were drinking it straight, I imagine the flavors would be mm. stronger. But but this is, this is quite nice. I can see how people would love to drink it. Yeah, oh, it's definitely it's... very pleasant, and the yeah the aftertaste is really really nice as well. Mm. So let's uh, let's talk about the production of ouzo. We normally start with the history. Let's start with the production this Ooh, time. Changing it up. Changing it up. So, um, well, let, let's start by saying what's not in the production process, because this is one of the few drinks where there is absolutely no fermentation involved in the production process at all. What? How does that work? Yeah, so now, now we can go back and talk about what is involved in the production <laughs> process, because there is no fermentation. 
Right. And uh, yeah, so they begin with a distillation of about 96% alcohol. Some who are making more pure ouzos will start with a distillation of 100% alcohol by volume. Well, that there has to be fermentation in the process because and otherwise they don't have any alcohol to distill. Mm, well, they I suppose they don't produce that. That's not part of the process. And where they get it from is... Uh, it's usually a grape-based alcohol that's mm, about 96% as most other distilled spirits. Yeah, and that is something we will get back to when we talk about uh, the origins of Ouzo. But uh, So they put that uh, rectified spirit in copper stills, and then they add anise, and sometimes other flavorings like star anise, fennel, mastic, coriander, cardamom, cinnamon, cloves, and uh, usually those flavoring ingredients are uh, closely guarded recipes that help to distinguish one Ouzo brand from another. And uh, that mixture which is often referred to as ouzo yeast, to metaphorically denote that it's the starting point for ouzo production, is then distilled for several hours, but only several hours, and that results in a distillate of approximately 80% alcohol by volume. And uh, the spirit at the beginning of the distillation, and at the end, sometimes called the heads and tails, is usually removed to avoid light and heavy alcohols and aromatics. And uh, the heads and tails are then usually mixed and distilled again with that product used to produce a different quality ouzo but uh, what they started with heads and tails removed makes um, is used for high quality ouzo and uh, they move on with the production process then to uh, add water to bring it down to its final alcohol percentage mm. of between 37 and a half and 50 percent there's a lot of alcohol that has the heads and the tails removed yeah but uh, for ouzo they reuse it which is interesting. Yeah. Well, they reuse it for bourbon as well for mm. some really low quality stuff. If you it like throw away stuff that you don't really care about yeah. flavorings. Um, but yeah, that's same with brandy as well. They remove the heads and the tails mm. to get the best part out of it because no one wants shit brandy. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, apparently, according to Greek law, because of course they can add other things to water their ouzo down to that appropriate alcohol percentage as well, they don't necessarily just use water, but according to Greek law, ouzo yeast must be at least 20% of the final product. Hmm. So you could make it, instead of distilling it with water, you could distill it with anything. Or dilute it with anything. Yeah, you could dilute it with anything as long as at least 20% of the finished product hmm. is from that ouzo yeast. We really need to get around to making our own alcohol. We we do. We've we've been talking about it. We keep talking about it. Yeah. We just keep forgetting. We just keep forgetting, yeah. So, uh we'll I think now we'll is probably to, we'll have to order some yeast online or something or swing past a brew shop. Oh. Yeah, and then Brew something. And then that's it. Just add honey. So, the first distillery opened in Greece that produced ouzo was opened by a man called Nicholas Katsaros. Katsaros? Katsaros, I I would think, yeah. Uh, He opened it in 1856, and it actually still produces ouzo today. It it does, using uh, the same recipe that they used in 1856. That would explain why it's not quite as sweet as more recent productions. Yeah, so what what we are drinking is, in fact, the Katsaros Uzo, hmm. what, what we're drinking at the moment. It's, so. it's really quite good, guys. 
Yeah, so let's I'll uh, redirect us slightly to talk about Katsuros since we've since we've come to that because um, well, it's all part and parcel. Yeah, because the the recipe is uh, kept as a family secret, as you'd expect, hmm. with uh, fourteen herbs and seeds apparently, and uh, supposedly they use clear water from Olympus as um, as their dilution for water, bringing it down water of the gods water of the gods yeah and uh, apparently by uh, after they'd produced it in 1856 by 1889 the uzo was uh, recognized as an award-winning drink throughout greece and by 1931 was being exported to france egypt and america and now it's also exported to australia canada england germany holland austria china russia hong kong and several other countries Mm. Uh, around the world and um, yeah so the Katsuros distillery the one that opened in 1856 and became the first commercial distillery of Uzo is still in operation to this day that exact same distillery amazing except that now it's capable of producing 2,000 bottles per hour is that all? yeah only 2,000 an hour that's a shitload of bottles (laughs) that is a lot of Uzo amazing well Uzo is protected under European Union approved protected designation of origin as at october 25th 2006 to be precise Mm. awesome because i suppose a lot of other people started making ouzo and the greeks didn't like it yeah well i i have actually in my uh in my search for ouzo information discovered that i found something called australian ouzo really i wonder how that differs from this stuff well admittedly there are a lot of Greeks in Australia. So it could still be based on a traditional Greek ouzo recipe made by a Greek family, but... Could very well be. Just in Australia. Just here. Yeah. Which, of course, is why they can't just call it ouzo. Mm. But they could get away with calling it Australian ouzo, though the bottle did just say ouzo. Hmm. I was going to say, is there... I was wondering if there is a alternative name that they could use, like... Uh, uh, what is it? Apera for sherry? Hmm. Well, admittedly, if they make it in Australia and they sell it in Australia, it's only the European Union that recognises Uzo as a product that has to come... From Greece. From Greece. Well, specifically from Greece or Cyprus. Right. So we can be jerks about it and just call it Uzo. Yeah, we can be jerks about it. America (laughs) can be jerks about it. Only in Europe does does that actually matter to anybody. Right. So where did it come from? Yeah. Uh... Well, the origin of the name is disputed, really. A popular theory is that it is Italian, or it comes from Italian, uh, Uso Massalia, for use in Masale. Masale? Masale, I believe. Masale. My Italian is not very good, Mm. although I say that with every language, don't I? Yeah. Uh, It was stamped on selected silkworm cocoons exported from Tyrannovos in the 19th century. And according to this anecdote, the designation came to stand for superior quality, so which the spirit, which Uzo was thought to possess. Well, in fact, according to Professor Alexander Philadelphus, Ooh, a Greek a archaeologist name. and yeah, it's a, it's a good one, right? Who's a, a Greek archaeologist and historian who lived from 1866 to 1955. That's a fantastic name for a historian. Mm. Alexander Philadelphus, yes. And um, yeah, so according to him, uh, Thessaly, yeah, they exported fine cocoons to Marcel and they stamped it with those exact words to distinguish the product. And apparently, uh, one day, an Ottoman Greek consulate physician named Anastasis Bey happened to be visiting the town of Tyrannos and was asked to sample the local Tsiporo. 
Now, upon tasting the drink, he immediately exclaimed, this is Uzo Musalia, my friends, referring to the high quality of the drink, saying this is a really high quality drink. But the term spread by word of mouth until Sapporo gradually became known as Uzo. Amazing. But the major Greek dictionaries say the name is derived from the Turkish word uzum, which means grape. But that's a much less interesting story, and I I prefer the other one. Me too. I love it when there's these intricate anecdotes of people just suddenly discovering this amazing drink, and it just sticks. They say something, and it sticks. Hmm, Though now, I think having mentioned Sapporo, we should probably talk about it, because that is considered to be the root drink from which Uzo came into existence. Hmm. Apparently, it was a pet project for a group of 14th century monks living in a monastery on Mount Athos. Yes, indeed. And they made it using uh, pomace, which is the residue from a wine press. Waste not, want not. Yeah. Yeah, they made it in two different ways, pure and flavoured with anise. And um, the latter is thought to have evolved into Uzo. What Anastos Bay tried would have undoubtedly been the anise-flavoured version of Sapporo. Mm, which evolved and became the Uzo we now know and love. Yes. Yeah, uh, that, that makes good sense to me, yeah. really. So, when absinthe fell into flavour... It fell into flavour. When absinthe fell into disfavour in the early 20th century, Uzo was one of those products whose popularity rose to fill the gap. It was called a substitute for absinthe without the wormwood, because, you know, people thought wormwood was the devil's drug at that time. And in 1932, they developed a method of distillation using copper stills that's now used mostly today. Everyone seems to be developing their own version of copper stills. Yeah, well, and it, it's one of those things where copper is cheap. Hmm. It's soft enough that you can easily shape it, but it handles the heats required for the distillation process. Copper's great. Let's uh, talk a little more about the drink, because we've tasted a number of anisets at this point. Mm. A lot of aniseed-flavoured drinks as well. Yes. Not not just anisets. Not just anisets, but aniseed-flavoured. There's a lot there. And this, honestly, is one of the milder ones I've had. It doesn't slap you in the face with a piece of licorice when every time you take a yeah. sip. I'm actually <laughs> surprised that because it smells so much stronger of anise than Sambuca or absinthe, you expect it to taste stronger of anise than Sambuca or absinthe. Mm. But yeah, as, as I said earlier, that taste is very mild. And while that could potentially be because we've gone a one-to-one ratio with water, the well, aftertaste is very pleasant and it's not as excessively sweet as you would expect mm. either. I really like it because it's, you know, it's sweet enough to get the juices flowing in your mouth and in your stomach. Yeah. And uh, there's enough flavor there to keep your taste buds interested, but it doesn't knock your socks off with flavor and ruin the flavors of other things you might be eating at the time. Yes, it's definitely something that is acceptable to have before something else, whereas you, mm. would, you wouldn't want to have Sambuca before a meal. Oh, no, that's an after-dinner treat. Yeah, that's a very strong flavor that even mixed with, you know, even with the fly, it's still really strong. Mm. And I, I did uh, I did go home and do that. I even set it alight. Ooh, and, how did uh, it go? How'd you... Roasted the flies, as it, as it were, with, with the Sambuca. <laughs> and it went very well. The, yeah, Sambuca a la Mosca, was it? De la, uh, de la yeah, Mosca. De la Mosca? Yeah. 
was um good i mean crunching up the crunching up the coffee bean really freshens the palate but i wouldn't think this would work della mosca no the flavors are too mild yeah the the coffee bean would just crush any taste you got of the drink at all Mm. well the this article i'm reading it says that ouzo is great with ouzo is great to mix with shellfish and uh other things like that and you drink it sip by sip. So after having some, I can really understand why you drink it like that as a aperitif or as a drink with uh, with your like eggplants and sun dried tomatoes mm. oh, and with your, an appetizer of some sort. Yeah, with your antipasto platters, yeah. cured um, meats. Before I tried some, I really thought that it was an odd thing to have because I was expecting it to be sweet and overpowering. I am glad that I was wrong. Mm, and yeah, I think with consideration for the sorts of foods that have always been popular in Greece, mm. it, it makes sense that it gained popularity throughout the late 1800s. Because mm. I, I think that it is a flavor that would go well with all that Mediterranean sort of, sort of stuff. And certainly I, I could... Uh, it's almost fitting that we be talking about this now, because even though when, as this uh, is actually uploaded for the first time, this will have been long gone, the, as we're recording it, the Panayiri Festival just occurred. We should have given a review or something. Oh, well. Because mm, I, I could imagine uh, drinking this as an accompaniment for a moussaka or something like that. Mm. So, Uzo is apparently well-known as a ingredient in many home remedies. Apparently, it's ouzo works well because of its alcohol percentage and the properties of the herbs used to flavor the drink. So it's apparently good as an antiseptic and uh, it's meant to help with uh, colds and flus to give you something warm to go to bed to, like, you know, make you feel a bit better. Let me read this quote here. Most Greeks have already used ouzo at a young age when they suffered from a terrible toothache. That's when grandmother would place a cloth dipped in ouzo on the aching tooth to alleviate pain or instruct the child to wash their mouth out with the bittersweet liquor. Apparently it works well. Well, I imagine drinking a 37% alcohol anything will Will make you feel better. Make you feel better when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, you can rub your tight muscles or joints with ouzo or mix ouzo with honey and take a shot before menstruation pain begins. Uh, In the Macedonian region, in older times, people would take a woolen cloth, dip it in ouzo, set it ablaze for a minute, iron it flat, and place it on the patient's stomach area. That's that's an interesting one. I mean, if it works. Yeah, or I guess if... The the fumes would probably get you drunk, so you wouldn't care. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) If if that works, or if it's just that you believe it works, if it's you know, just the placebo effect, yeah. as long as it works, does it really matter how yeah. it works? If it definitely, if it makes you feel better, then it's working. Yeah. Well, in in I'm talking about these sort of home remedies. Yeah, that yeah. These ho- probably home... don't work anyway, but definitely make you feel better. Mm. I mean, obviously, I would expect if it's medicinal properties related to the herbs and their levels within the beverage, then the effectiveness would vary depending on which brand of ouzo you're drinking, Mm. since they all use a slightly different mix in slightly different ratios. Yeah, and aniseed and cinnamon and uh, anise and um, 
cloves, they all have their own medicinal properties. Yeah, absolutely. Those those are all things that by themselves are known to have medicinal properties and mm. are often by themselves turned into tea or something to to consume to help. So yeah, why not an alcohol that at the same time? I mean, so many of the other alcohols we've <laughs> talked about. They've all started as remedies. Yeah. And, tinctures. Uh, this one didn't. It, it started as a drink. And yeah. um, the drink it started from started as... As a drink. As a drink. <laughs> but uh, something we failed to mention earlier, well, when we were talking about the uh, the origin, the designation of origin, is that it doesn't just cover Uzo. No? It actually... The designation of origin also covers Sapporo and Tsukudin. Mm. And Tsukudin is... Uh, a variant of Sapporo made in a very similar way, still using the remains from the wine press, but yep. is usually made small batch by families without any particular good quality ingredients or kit. Right. So it's the Greek word for moonshine? Uh, sort of, I guess, with the exception that because it's covered by the designation. this designation of origin, it probably means that they've got their version of craft breweries, mm. craft distilling, craft distilling, and selling it in Europe. Nice. Which is, yeah, based on Sapporo, apparently. Very cool. Very cool. Well, as we're nearing to the end of our podcast, I think it's time to rate this drink. Yes. Now, trying to remember how many bottle caps I gave the other anisets. I don't think you should. I think you should just uh, tell it how you feel. Well... I'm going to have another quick well, taste of it. While he's doing that, I'm going to actually rate this eight and a half to nine because I found it really, really pleasant. And it's this sort of drink that lends itself to be consumed with other food. Like, I just want to go eat shellfish and antipasto stuff like artichokes and dried tomato and pickled stuff because it's got my stomach growling and, you know food yeah yeah i I agree it it has me hungry for a good mediterranean Mm. feed maybe some some lamb or or tzatziki tzatziki yeah yeah Yeah, that'd that'd go pretty well right now Mm. there's a really good greek place in south bank oh there is a really good greek place in south yeah i've I've eaten there a couple of times great place okay yeah so i'm gonna give this eight and a half as as well i think Mm. because it is a good multi-purpose drink that I imagine if drunk straight would be a different experience altogether, but would undoubtedly still be more subtle than the other anisets. Right. Yeah, I I would agree with that. This this surprised me. I was expecting it to be like the other anisets we've had, but it is not. It is its own thing, its own version, and it fits in its niche very well. Yeah, so if, if you find that Sambuca is a bit too strong of a flavor, but you like anise as a flavor if it's not overpowering, try Uzo, because it's it's definitely more subtle in the initial flavor and with a really pleasant aftertaste. Yeah, it works well. Have you got anything else? Uh, I do not. So let's talk about uh, next time, next where time. we'll be all about martinis. Oh, yeah. Bringing it back. We, we've been... Uh, I've been holding off on drinking the vermouth and gin since our vermouth episode because I knew this was coming up. 
Yep, martinis are coming, and it's not just going to be one or two. We will talk about as many different varieties of martini as we can squeeze into the episode. That's a lot of martinis. That, that is a lot of martinis, I yes. I don't think we're going to be able to drink whole martinis. We might have to make them half-size or quarter-size. Well, I, I wasn't suggesting we drink as many martinis as we talked about in the episode. What? <laughs> yes, that... <laughs> Because we need to actually be capable of speaking. so Challenge accepted. <laughs> so at least talking about as many as we can and probably making a number of Bond references. Mm. Speaking of which, should we... We should get a cocktail shaker. Uh, I have one. Fabulous. It's going to look awkward bringing that to work, but... Yeah, it's going to look a bit <laughs> awkward taking a full bucket to work. Because it should be... Are we going to... Well, some of them should be stirred, mm. depending which ones we're making. So I'll have to bring the whole kit. All right. Here we go. I'm pr- I'm stoked. I'm so super keen, as it were. So yeah, look forward, look forward to it like we are for, for our martini episode coming up next week. If you like what you heard, shoot us a email, a good drop at gmail.com. Our website is a We are a good drop all about alcohol on iTunes or your favorite RSS podcaster app and of course word of mouth is also a great way for us to get new listeners tell Mm. your friends if you enjoy it keep it to yourself if you don't (laughs) share the news spread the love spread the spread the news share the love and and of course we also want to hear ideas for other episodes things you'd like to hear us talk about or if you know something we don't and just want to tell us that send us an email with your favorite drink and if we like what you have to say, we'll do an episode on it. Yeah, yeah, we're always keen for some ideas. So, until yeah. next time. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>